The long and winding road leads us here to the doorstep of the postseason. One win, a little bit of help away from ending 17 seasons of misery. Allen steps up. Jumps over the defenders to pick up the first. Now, how many quarterbacks have you ever seen hurdle anyone? Oops, he throws. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. You're listening to the Red, White and Buffalo Blues, a UK Bills podcast. Matt here going solo for episode 51, where today's episode we will be speaking with the Athletics' Matthew Fairburn, discussing the Bills off-season, the NFL draft, free agency and... Josh Allen and the offense, and in our other interview, we have the original UK Bills backer himself, Nick Manning, who will talk about why he went to Canada, how he's enjoying life in Canada, and what does he miss. Now, unfortunately, as I say, it's me going solo, so I do not have my bantering buddy here in Alex, but hey. Make it a lot quicker to get into the um the segments. Only kidding, Alex. Only kidding. Yeah. But here we go. Let's get in to the first interview. Now we interviewed well this time me and Alex interviewed Nick Manning. Now we enjoyed it. Obviously me being a Bill and a UK based Bill. A lot of respect for this guy and for what he's done. So for me, this was a really insightful, um, what do you call it, interview. So enjoy this interview. Joining us on the Red, White and Buffalo Blues, we have the original UK Bills backer, formerly from London, now residing in Canada. It's Nick Manning. Nick, thank you for joining us. Matt, how are you doing? Nice to meet you uh, by phone. And Alex, great to talk to you too. Nice to meet you too, Matt, uh, Nick. Um, so I guess the the simplest question, the most obvious question is first and foremost, um, what, what led you to becoming a uh, Bills fan? Well, I mean, this might be a familiar story to, to many people, but I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1979. Um, and uh, there was a very naughty boy who lived next door to me <laughs> uh, in the 80s who was enthralled with everything American. Um, and me being a kind of counterculture type of person. Jeez, yeah, uh, what a sucker. Yeah, I, I, was, um, I was kind of attracted to that stuff too. And uh, I remember playing in our back garden, running around with an American football and shouting Blue 22, hut, hut, and not, not really <laughs> knowing what the heck we, we were doing. I don't think many people do when they say that. So, right, exactly. Yeah. So we we were we were we were doing those good things, and you know, not really thinking anything of it. But I had posters. Um, you guys are probably too young to remember this, um, but I had posters on my wall uh, when I was growing up of of the great quarterbacks and the great players of the uh, of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, these these pictures up. 
um, and I would put them up. And one of them was Jim Kelly. So I kind of knew something about the Bills. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I had every great quarterback of the era on my wall at the time. Fast forward a couple of years and my dad out of the blue said to me, hey, boys, I was 11. Uh, you want to go and see the American football at Wembley Stadium? And we said, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> um, we didn't we didn't know anything about football, as I say, and, and until we went. And uh, as we walked to Wembley that day, we, we kind of said to each other, who uh, who's playing in this game? then?" <laughs> and um, it was the Bills and the Eagles. And my dad, I remember this distinctly. We went up to one of the um, the merchandise stalls outside the old Wembley. And he said, you know, boys, um, I've just been to Philadelphia with work. So um, I'm going to support the Eagles today. And me and my brother inevitably said, well, we're going to support the Bills. And I, we bought caps that day, which were the, they were the sickest caps ever. You, you know, the script caps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the Bills won that game 17-14. And during the game, I sat next to a bunch of fellas from UB who um, who talked very kindly while between drinking many, many, many beers. <laughs> talked us through the rules of the game and what was going on. And we saw Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith. And I've got great pictures of the day that I remember so vividly. Mm. Um, and of course I picked the best team in the world. This was 1991. Yeah, we went to yeah. all those Super Bowls. I thought we were going to win forever. Um, and the story has been a bit different ever since then, but um, we got off to a good start, me and the Bills. Yeah. I think obviously further down the line, obviously, if people out there remember the old NFL UK um, forum, I think that's where it most the uh, more the fan base started developing a bit more. I think you were the original um, original starter of that in in what was, I'm just looking at it now about 2005, I believe. Yeah, well, I mean, my my relationship with the Bills and American football kind of goes back even further than that. Yeah, um, you know, so I. I remember, I don't know if it's still around anymore, but first down the American football news newspaper when I was 15, um, I'd started playing football in the UK for the Luton Huskers back then. Um, I was 15 and I went and did a week um, like summer work experience for first down and they let me write the, the AFC East preview and God, I didn't know anything about football either at this point. And they let me write the college football preview um, <laughs> one, one August summer. You know, that was probably 1996. So I was kind of involved with American football. And then, I mean, I went on to play at uh, Lancaster for uh, Lancaster Bombers for university. I played for the Hart Stags and London Blitz and, and did all the good things with the Blitz. But, you know, it was really the Bills is my, was always my first love. And so, mm -hmm. um, so I was involved with um, a forum called Two Bills Drive um, yeah, and had been following Two Bills Drive online for a long time, had uh, had met up with people in 2001 when um, I went back to Buffalo for the second time um, uh, on that forum. And uh, and then when when the UK wanted to have like a bit more of a presence and American football was becoming a thing and NFL UK got going, I was really keen on kind of finding these mad bills fans that you know still were in touch with the glory days but uh wanted to hang out so yeah nfl uk got it started we managed to get some great meetups at the Haymarket in london and and get some bills fans together to watch the draft and 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 some bills games and it was good times i've got great pictures of me in a shameful willis mcgahee jersey uh, <laughs> uh posing with with friends from across the uk in uh, in the Haymarket um sports cafe Hey, well, I mean, Willis, Willis, uh, I hated the draft pick, but then as soon as the player starts to do well, 
you root for him. So I was kind of on the side of that. But um, going going back to your your game in in Wembley, so the Bills win, game's over. Um, you you're walking out of the stadium with your dad and your brother. You said right. Um, how, I mean, is it like boom? I'm a Bills fan. Like how does that? Because it's 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 weird for me because it's for me it's it's like civic pride. I was born and raised in Buffalo, so that's just why. Uh, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that anybody else around the world would be would be a Bills fan because, I mean, as you experienced back then, the losing, um, and then more losing, and, and then and then more losing, and then more losing. Uh, so so I mean, how did you? How did you stay with it? Well, I mean, look, I was 11. So I picked a team that I thought was fantastic. Yeah. And we kept... I hitched my wagon to the Bills. And of course, they went to the Super Bowl. They went to the Super Bowl. They went to the Super Bowl. And yeah. it, when, when you're 11, 12, and 13, you think that is always going to happen. And surely yeah. it's a matter of time. Um, and I, there's funny things about me, right? Like I had Osgood Schlatter's disease about that time period as well. So when everyone at school is uh, off, you know, playing rugby and football and cricket, I really couldn't because I just couldn't play sports at that time period of my life. I needed to rest and let my bone heal. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I came to playing sport when I was 14 and we stumbled across this American football team, like the Bills were my thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I they were they were they were wrapped up in my identity of, you know, when I was young and forming up these kind of relationships with sport, you know, nobody else was talking about American football in quite the same way I was. And that was a point of pride for me. Um, and I'd, I'd pick the best team in the world. Like, yeah, okay. They went to four straight and didn't win, but they went to four straight and they were bound to go to five and six and seven and win one and, and continue to be amazing. Um, so I kind of linked up with that. And then funny things, you know, when you're a kid, a little kid and you obsess about stuff, you know, I knew and still do um, the the postcode for the stadium, uh, One Bills Drive. And, you know, my friends would quiz me about like, well, you think you're such a big fan of the Bills. What do you know? And I think, <laughs> I know the postcode and friends of mine. I mean, even guys who liked American football, there's a little group of us who did. Um, they would say to me, you know, thir- 12 or 13, oh, God, I remember losing to um, the Cowboys for the second time. And they would tease me, one, four, one, two, seven, one. And like, you know, somehow the postcode, the zip code for the Bills was like a way to tease me like 14-year-old boys do. So just like your civic pride, your kind of connection to the Bills through p- sense of place and sense of identity is exactly the same kind of journey that I went through as I was kind of forming a sense of place and sense of and sense of identity. Okay, I don't have the kind of civic connection, mm-hmm. but boy, do I ever now. And, um, awesome. and you know, that's kind of why I've stuck with them for so long. And I bet. I didn't notice this until just a little bit of research uh, over the last few days, but the Bills also played uh, against the Vikings in 93 in Berlin. Did you go to that game as well? Well, we didn't go to that game, no. Get and, over there, no. Honestly, like, the amount of time it took me to become, like, a hardened, serious Bills fan, right. it was right in that period. So Yeah, because in that, you do have been, the what, 13 and 93, right? So Yeah, like, that's maybe I don't think not my too dad much. would take me to, uh, to Frankfurt or wherever yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. to watch that game. Mm-hmm. So, um, I bet then 2017, um, 
obviously when they lifted the playoff draft, uh, playoff draft, playoff drought, I, I bet your house pretty much came down. Obviously, knowing from the Bills, um, the Super Bowl years, then the drought, I bet that house, as soon as um, Tyler Boyd actually went for a touchdown, I bet that house roof just fell off. Well, I was at 716 Sports in Buffalo. Um, my family, my mum and dad were over visiting um, for New Year's. And so we'd, we'd gone down to Buffalo because Buffalo is a great place to hang out. Word to everybody in the UK who's a Bills fan, you need to go to Buffalo. It's fantastic. And not only for the football. Um, but we were hanging out. We were staying at the Curtis Hotel. And we hadn't planned to stay overnight for, uh, for New Year's. The hotel was so great. We were having such a blast. We said, we'll stay. We'll go to 716 and watch the game. And I mean, this is this is what exactly why I live in Canada, is exactly why I live uh, close enough to drive to Buffalo so I can go and hang out at 716 uh, um, and, you know, Frizzies on, on, um, in Allentown and do all those kind of great, great Buffalo things, even though I'm far too old for this stuff right now. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to relive the youth that I never had. Um, but we, yeah, we were there and God, it was, it was amazing. And of course, then I made the rash decision to drive 16 hours from, uh, from my home to Jacksonville to go and do the, the playoff game. Oh man, you drove. Holy. Wow. How was that drive home? (laughs) Yeah, that was brutal. The crazy thing was, is uh, a friend of mine who, who I met from our tailgate. And that's another great story here. Um, a tailgate friend of mine said, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, there's a few of us who kind of only know each other from the tailgate. And we met, we met up and went down. The one of them had bought front row on field seats. So I watched the Jags game on the field. <laughs> wow. Kind nice. of meant that we couldn't see anything because the, you know, the view was God awful. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine that. Um, just it was a long ass drive. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, just obviously, we know that everyone's read the Buffalo Bills um, article on yourself on there. Just um, run us through that decision process to to move to Canada. Obviously, did you have any reservations? Obviously, Bills close by. Did you ever have any reservations, or was it just I want Bills, I want to be there, let's go, no regrets? um yeah sure the 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 like the real story for people who are thinking about maybe doing this kind of thing was um i'm not sure we really gave it that much thought um (laughs) by the time we were my wife and i were married we were 25 we were living in london and we had friends um who were kind of around us um and um um, visiting with us from canada they spent a year in london with us um from Canada, my wife's friends from from childhood. Um, and so we were thinking about, you know, let's live and work abroad for a little while. And where do we want to go? I was working for the Ministry of Defence. So my options were going to be uh, Baghdad, Tripoli or um, Kabul. That's <laughs> not really a place to kind of plan on raising a family and growing yeah. up together. And so we said, well, why don't we apply to move to Canada? Like it'll be um, it's easy enough to get to. Our family can get to us there. We can get home easy enough. It has the great advantage of, you know, giving us access to all of that great culture and life that, you know, I really love. Um, and uh, and then there's the chance to be somewhere where we can get Bill's season tickets. We love Toronto. I mean, I've been coming to Toronto since um, 
since 1997, which was the first time we went to Buffalo to see a Bills game in person. Um, brackets, that was the year that we lost in overtime against Elway, the year he won the Super Bowl. Um, but um, so so we kind of knew that we wanted to be around here. Um, we applied when we were 25 to move as permanent residents without lining jobs up or anything like that. We got the the permanent residency five full years later. And by that point, we're 30. We have a daughter who'd just been born. Um, and so we said, well, we'll go and look at this. We'll we'll move. We'll, we'll see what's what. So it was a long process. Um, it was a big, risky move, but um, I wouldn't change anything. And I've now got season tickets and some seniority with them. So uh, there's no looking back from my perspective. So this yeah. might be more of a political question than an, uh, a football question, but... Uh, so, so you moved to Canada because of the relationship between the U.S. and Canada, or like not you wouldn't move to Buffalo because of why? Well, I, I mean, I think when we were 25, looking that the options to move to the U.S. and work, um, you needed to be sponsored by somebody who was uh, by a job provider. Okay. Um, and of course, we all know the rules about green cards and immigration in the U.S. Like you need to be able to prove that um, an American can't do that job. And I was working as a civil servant. My wife's a teacher. So there was no realistic prospect mm. of us moving to the US. So that that never became part of our dialogue. Um, Canada, we knew as, as a Commonwealth country and as, as Brits that there was a route to get in there um, and it would deliver for us the kind of experience that I don't, you know, I'd always hope to have. Um, you know, all that counterculture, that fascination with American, like what, while everybody was in love with Britpop, I was big into Counting Crows, Ben Folds and the Tragically Hip. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm like the opposite of what a British person should be. So, um, so it was just, it was a fit for us to look at Canada and there's nothing really political about it. I mean, I, uh, we love Buffalo and we also love great places. Like if you look at, um, you know, the beautiful area around Bill's training camp in, in Rochester in Pittsford, I mean, what amazing places to live. Um, I'll, I'll leave the politics of, of you know, the two party state and education <laughs> health, health systems to another podcast, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely not our show. Um, have you had a so you mentioned Rochester? Have you had a garbage plate? I have had a garbage plate, and friends from Two Bills Drive once even gave me a Nick Nick Tehu's um, uh, voucher to go and have <laughs> the original garbage plate from out of Rochester. So, Matt, do you know what a garbage plate is? I unfortunately do not know. I hope All right, you enlighten me, Nick. Nick, school him a little bit. Well, a garbage plate is a dustbin size lid of a plate with literally everything you can think of on it but texas red hots uh potatoes hot dogs ground beef it's everything and it's so good if they do if they, if they do a full english one of that i would probably do i'll probably demolish about two of those straight up <laughs> to be fair it's like rochester's version of a full english <laughs> but with is that obviously me mentioning um i'd do a, do a full english there is that something you miss that fish and chips and all that you're missing anything else from home or is it is it just it's it's done there will be the odd times where i get a bit homesick but is there anything you, you really truly truly miss about uh about london and england oh uh i so this this is a really complex answer i mean the simplest answer is of course, yeah, we miss a whole bunch of things. There are a whole range of food, like a proper fish and chips. Hell yeah. yeah. Like a pub lunch. Impossible to get here. Yep. Not 
not right. Can you get a kind of, you know, if, if it's a bit of a rainy, foggy Sunday afternoon, all you want is a nice roaring fire and a pint, a pint, pint of brown beer. Not possible. So there's a whole <laughs> range of things. And we, you know, and I was living in, we lived in London and I was working on, you know, opposite Downing Street on Whitehall and the cut and thrust of London there is no city in the world like London. It is world-class like nobody else, nowhere else. So yes, of course, miss it and miss it dearly. Um, and we did, we never left with any kind of um, resentment of the UK mm. in our hearts. Like we, we love home and, and the UK will always be home. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, loads of things we miss. But the other thing you, you start to realise is you become an expat. Alex, you might have this a bit. I mean, I kind of find that the world becomes a very small place mentally when you've moved country. Um, you, you, you tend to see difference um, early on a lot more often and then less and less and less and less. And you kind of find ways to bring your own identity to the fore. Um, so my Britishness here is so much stronger than it would, than it would be if I was back home. I mean, to people back home, I probably look like a raving member of the BNP with all my <laughs> Union Jack flags whenever I turn up to Bill's games in particular, but it becomes part of your identity in a way that it would never at home. So the world becomes this kind of strange, small, boundaryless place once you've moved country and called somewhere else home for a bit. And it, there's a lot to kind of unpack that isn't very Billsy at all. And, and lots about, you know, how you, how you create sense of place and identity, which I guess is where this conversation started. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's crazy that you mentioned that because I was just in London over the weekend and I was at market halls, uh, Victoria, and there was a, a girl there who had a, a just a, a, a bills, um, um, beanie on. And I was like, Hey, I like your hat. Go bills. And she laughed in the way that she didn't understand what I was saying. So maybe just the Bills hat is uh, trendy right now, but it was just cool to see the logo uh, in London. Um, I mean, I love going into London. I, I say that, and I've been to New York City a bunch of times, but like I like London almost so much more than New York City, and it, it it's so hard to compare to Toronto or Buffalo. But uh, like I feel like when I leave here in a few years, like I'm gonna miss it and talk about it the same way like you're talking about it. Uh, I, it's just, it's fantastic to be over here. Um, and, and to have this community here as well really makes it feel like home. So I, I really like everything that you just said about that. Um, and I super relate. Just, just glad that, um, over there, you don't have to worry too much about Brexit then. <laughs> well, we're trying to move a bunch of money to the UK so we can do up our bathrooms here. So we're really looking for the Brexit bounce in the pound against the Canadian dollar. But <laughs> you're right. I don't have to worry about Brexit. <laughs> um, so so how do you feel about the um, about the current Bills team? Obviously, in comparison to the team back in um, back in the 90s. Oh, well, in comparison to the team back in the 90s, we're not really having yeah. a conversation. Um, but I mean, let's. But I, th I think I think like more personally, though, like that team captured your heart. Uh, is is anything about this current team close to that? Oh, yeah. That, you know, that is a great question because I just I actually we just um, done up our basement and I made a tabletop of bills trading cards that i've collected over the years and so many of them are 90s era bills and you're right they did capture my heart i'm looking around my basement here and i've got so much 90s era stuff um 
what what about this current team has captured my heart um I think I like the the offensive identity. I really like Josh Allen and the direction he's going in. Um, he, you know, I've kidded around with a whole bunch of people having had too many beers at the tailgate. Like, I'm going to have his babies. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot. Um, and the, his ability to learn and get better in a hurry um, is cool. I mean, I'm 40 now, so my relationship with the Bills generally is very, very different than it was when I was 11, 12, and 13, and it was those 90s Bills. Um, there is definitely the the heart connection um, between me and and whatever team. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of Marcel Darius. Like, he was my boy until he wasn't, until he was an idiot and left. Um, yeah. Like, Darius was my boy. That was Matt's guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, when he came over to London, you got a lot of big guys, right? Yeah, yeah. I got, um, I got, I got two signed hats and a signed ball from him. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. We, we, uh, we, we uh, had an autograph with him at training camp. He was a surly MF. Uh, my daughter was trying to get his autograph. He didn't say anything. Kyle Williams was far more interesting, but gruff. Um, so yeah, I don't know, like. They've captured my heart in ways that, you know, so changed. Like when you when you're watching the Bills on, you know, when you're preparing on Sunday to watch the Bills at six o'clock in the evening on Sunday, your your whole week is winding down and you're you're kind of easing into this life of watching them. And it's a very personal, private experience most of the mm. time because you're having to stick on Sky and, you know, maybe you're following along with Twitter or whoever. But generally, it's a very private, personal experience now you know, my life with the Bills is defined in so many other ways, but it's defined through people. It's defined through the tailgate and the friends that I've met and the crazy folks in the RV lot who uh, who I sit next to and the guys that, you know, whose home I can now visit um, through friendship of sitting next to him in the stadium and the and the dozens and dozens and dozens of people who we now call family from the from the Red Pinto tailgate. So the, the heart, the, the team catches you in a way that, you can't describe what it's like to be in Buffalo if you've never been there other mm -hmm. than it's awesome and indescribable. Um, and that's really changed that that's changed the way that my heart connects with, with the team. It's, it's, it's very much more expanded in, um, in a way that like that I could never have imagined and, and perhaps only dreamed of when I was 15 and 16 and, you know, watching on my own in, in my parents' living room, watching us lose the music city miracle. Like, Oh no. This this life this experience is is beyond that that I could ever have dreamed of you know with my special little setup feet up on the radiator in mum and dad's house. <laughs> no, I you you mentioned obviously how it's opened up your um the in inverted commas the football family on there. Obviously when when the Bills came over to London, I I managed to have a um, chat and uh, meet Pinto Ron um, for and obviously. He did say to me, well, I have to verify him, um, verify. He did say that if I ever do come over, I'd give him a shower and he'll let me be the um, the, cusk, the ketchup or mustard um, guy for it. But Oh, I'd love or... to see that. <laughs> you have to fight Josh Allen's girlfriend for it or Micah Hyde's girlfriend, uh, <laughs> wife because they're staples. But sure, we could probably get you up there. And for, for those of us who haven't been to a game, haven't been to tailgate those who probably coming over next season for the first time just explain how how crazy the tailgate is how amazing the the atmosphere is just during the tailgate during the game and even even after it win lose or um or tie 
Yeah. Okay. This is a great question too. So first, some myth busting. Don't pay any attention to what you see on Barstool. That is not the experience. There is no <laughs> table smashing in uh, in any of the good lots anyway. Yeah. Um, Wait. What lot? Is, what lot do you go to? So I I'm part of Pinto Ron's um, uh, Kenny's uh, Red Pinto Tailgate Crew. So we park in the Hamlet. Okay. Uh, just off Abbott Road, right by the stadium. It's right next to the RV lot. Mm -hmm. So if anybody, and I would say this to anybody coming from the UK, we get lots every year. That's the lot to look up. Hammerlot, opposite um, opposite the stadium, next to the RV lot. Um, it's a grass lot. We are there every week on a, for a one o'clock Sunday game. We'll get there. We'll drive into the lot at 7 a.m. We'll leave our home here at 5 um, and pull in and, and get cooking breakfast. By 11 o'clock, you cannot move for the yeah. thousands of people who have descended on that on that lot, on that tailgate party. Um, we've got a oh, regular crew it. of people who always park with us um, and who are all there. I mean, if they're there by 7.30, they're late and we get into them for it. <laughs> I was always parking in the ECC lot because I would always show up at like 8 or 9. And, and now I regret it. Uh, I'll be back in Buffalo in September. Yep. Hopefully there's a home game and I'll see you there. Oh, well, if it's a home game, I'll be there. Um, <laughs> and the ECC lot's a great place to park if you want to get out quickly after the game. Um, but and I'm not by so quickly, you that. mean within one or two hours. So. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, that's good. I mean, I'm hoping, well, if not, if not this year, next year, definitely, to actually um, to come out. I think it's... It's something I just need to save a little bit of a little bit more dollars for um, to do it. So I'm already uh, already jeering up for it. Well, me and my best mate Greg, we used to uh, after we'd figured out that we could do it. You know, we uh, we spent a few weekends. American Thanksgiving. If there's any if there's any games around that weekend, that's always a great weekend to to come out. There's loads of people around. It's a good experience at the tailgate. The best 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 experience of the tailgate, bar none is coming for home opener um it's it's such a joyful <laughs> amazing tailgate to be at the weather is always fantastic yep. everyone's on a high um everyone's got their a game and then you've got all the joy of going and seeing the the bills for the first time that that year it's it's the best and there's always a long party after after the home opener as well well worth coming for that so done the bowling ball shot then Many, many, and many a time. <laughs> it's so sanitary. It's perfectly sanitary. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, the challenge is with, uh, with Kenny and, uh, and all the guys at the, the Pinto is uh, Captain Buffalo is another one of the characters. He really set a high bar of crazy tailgate foods with his serving um, uh, meatballs out of a bedpan. That oh really God. takes some mental <laughs> capacity to get over. And, uh, you know, there's Pizza Pete with his pizza in a, in a, in a filing cabinet and all the other crazy foods i was challenged to say well what's the most british thing that i could cook so i took to making tailgate madras because uh i figured a curry and a pint is the most british thing i could cook at the tailgate i surprised i surprised you didn't try um giving the old good old uh, english breakfast well i mean we do that breakfast but there's two meals to cater for you, you get there, <laughs> yeah you you're get there all day seven, you got to you got to have breakfast and lunch. So we have a we have a nice English breakfast most days, and then uh, and then a curry. We last year we went we wanted to make it a sausage fest, so every meal was sausage based. 
that was uh, eight sausage-based meals. Aside from making it yourself, is I don't think there's anywhere to get like a, a sausage roll. That's really just not a thing in America. But if I was going to bring like a British thing to a tailgate, I think it would be a sausage roll. Yeah, we we found a good line on Scotch eggs over here. So oh yeah, we started bringing some Scotch egg breakfasts. Nice. So you not found any black pudding or anything like that? Oh, I did go for a little time. There's a there's an English butcher in my town here. Um, he's from Manchester, and he he has some black pudding every now and again. So we uh, we get that in. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'll pass on that. That's that's beyond me. I've tried it, and that's just like you know what? My ancestors are from British. I'm from court. My my ancestors are from Cornwall, but black pudding. Yeah, that's just I can't do that. <laughs> you guys are crazy. It's... We'll take that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we love it well i love it definitely i just a fry up is my favorite um favorite meal i could eat it breakfast dinner and uh and lunch really to be honest how about marmite because that's, yes. that's not a thing in america either no i don't like it just, oh wow Well, that's wrong because it's delicious <laughs> <laughs> so i've got i've got a question for you guys go for it, it. um so my experience of, of Bills backers, you know, 2005 and, and it was hard to find Bills fans to get together and and kind of watch games with and, and celebrate with. There were a few, but it was hard work. What? How's it different now? I've been away for coming on 10 years um, and had found my little community um, before that. So so what's it like? You know, how's it different uh, changed over the last 10 years? Well, that's all you. That's all you, Matt. I mean, you are the heart. So you are the heart and soul of the UK Bills group here. So uh, you answer that one. It's it's starting to come along now. I think um, I think there was that little little lull deep um, about four or five years ago, but so, all of a sudden it started to pick up quite a bit. I think obviously the lack of um, lack of playoffs and obviously with Sky picking and choosing their games like a. A couple of days before before the Sunday, it was always hard to try and get a party to watch it. But since since the first playoff, I think there was about seventy odd um, watching that. And then more recently, we've had um, we had the Houston playoff game, um, which I think had about fifty or sixty of us um, in there. So it's starting to really really blossom now. To be honest, I think. The more and more it's now getting out there, more and more bills are starting to come back and actually um, start to build again from the drought that we're seeing more and more interactions and obviously fans and hopefully come, hopefully if the bills do come over this year or, or even next year, um, that there's definitely going to be a couple of parties and 2015 was a, prime example of that i think that's where it really did kick off when they came over the jags because don't, don't talk about that game it's a bad game no <laughs> i won't talk about the game i'll talk about the uh the, all the i very um, much oddly just recently watched the highlights for that game i don't know why it was recommended to me on my youtube page and i was like hey this is a bad idea play um yeah ej manual oh my god oh. Don't. I said don't talk about that game because it will just <laughs> make me furious. Yeah. All right. But you know, back to your question. I think the biggest thing uh, between now and 05 is is Twitter, probably. It's just yeah. a faster way of communication. Um, I know a solid uh, between like five and ten guys 
in, in, in uh, two or three girls on Twitter that I can constantly talk to uh, on Sundays about the game, and there's always a chat going. Um, so Twitter's been fantastic for us. Um, and, and obviously, I mean, the introduction of the podcast uh, to kind of have a singular voice, a rallying call. Um, has been great. It's just been a you know a dream to be a part. I mean, not technically a part of the organization, but like a figurehead for it to spread the the, the word. Um, so yeah, probably just technology is like the biggest answer to like spreading that. Because I bet you, if you had these kind of tools back then in the early in the nineties, I think um, you know you'd have been the guy doing this podcast probably. As a as a young man with far too much time on my hands, I'm certain that that is accurate. Yes. <laughs> No, let's say come come 2015 when we had that party. I think the, f- the funniest thing is was that the promoter that helped us. He said last year the, or the year before he had the Cowboys, who was his most um, who had the most att- in attendance at the time, which was about 350. He told me afterwards that we doubled that in in one year, and we've always been the most successful team traveling. So I think not just that. I think everything that's come up has really started boosting us and now we're starting to build it a lot more is it's all pointing uh pointing skywards i completely agree we travel well it was fun that was a yeah. funny experience of jacksonville where we uh we were all in this massive lot it felt like hammer's lot and uh and there was no like you couldn't see jags fans and we didn't see anyone any jags fans on the way in either because you know it we were early like 7 7 a.m get there early right mm-hmm. um and we, then we had this terrible shock walking into the stadium. It was like we were all walking along, chanting, chanting, home game, home game. And then, <laughs> then we walked in the stadium. It was like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, right. Whoops, get, they're all here. They don't tailgate. Yeah, exactly. Get, get the British chant of, you're not singing anymore. <laughs> uh, we, we've got a good line on the referees. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> In our section of the tail of, of the stadium now, they they know some bad calls, and the the rowdy Brit is going to start screaming. The referees are. <laughs> Don't worry, you can say it. It's fine. Oh, wanker! Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a curse word in like a Canada and America, so you, I'm sure you can get away with saying that. I, the general. Well, I'm co- conscious it's a British podcast, so nah. you know. <laughs> Technically, we're recording after nine o'clock, so it's after the watershed. So. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen naked, naked attractions, so like all bets are off. I don't know if you guys have seen that show or not, but geez, the stuff that you guys get away with over here, oh my god. Uh. So, last last thing, is there one favorite story they've had since you've been in Canada and actually watching the Bills? There one story that even just saying the first sentence or so will just get you chuckling for say a week straight at all chuckling for a week straight um i t- no maybe not chuckling for a week straight i can being a bills I'll, I'll say this being a bills fan is the best experience literally anyone can have and once you connect on the stadium in the game it it transforms you in ways that you can't even describe uh did you know I won the 50-50 in the stadium and won $60,000? What? <laughs> that I've, I'm just looking at the big check on my wall right now. That's oh, that'll man. get me that'll get me smiling. Um, <laughs> just you show know, you weren't Irish and you could say it's the luck of the Irish. Maybe, yeah. Um Manning I think has some Irish connections at some point. Maybe maybe that's it. Um I 
honestly, the, the chuckle that I have is as we drive down from where I live in Kitchener and Waterloo, uh, up in Ontario, we have to cross, oh, we have to cross Kitchener the border. Rangers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, we have to cross the border and we always cross just to avoid the Peace Bridge shenanigans at Niagara Falls. So always chuckle to ourselves when you, you're driving past one of the seven wonder of the worlds, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten times a year just to go watch the bills. That's conservative. It's way more that we cross just for bill stuff. Um, but you just you just think to yourself, wow, I'm really living. This is this is not real. This is so great. Um, and even my my friend Nick, um, who drives down with me, the pair of us at that moment, every time we look at each other, are like, this is this is it. This is the best. These these, these are good life yourself. decisions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's I mean it's all about that experience of getting there. It's very personal and, um, but yeah. And of course you just can't beat the ketchup ceremony. So if you've never seen it, you've got to <laughs> YouTube it. <laughs> yeah. No, just get out, get out there and see it live. Um, do you have, um, any favorite food that you can only buy like in the stadium? Like what's your favorite food to eat during the game? Cause, uh, I know the last time I was at the game, they just introduced pizza logs, which totally isn't a thing over here. But uh, I, I do love me some pizza logs. Do you? Uh, what's your favorite stadium food, and have you had the pizza logs? I have had the pizza logs. They yes. are very good. Yes. Um, my favorite food used to be in the stadium, the beef on weck. But mm-hmm. then since they did the renovations, they stopped dip dripping it in, in gravy. So it's just too gross and dry now. Oh, geez. Um, they do a good line on mac and cheese. Uh, my seatmate always has always has the mac and cheese. Pizza log <laughs> pizza logs are probably the best. Love cool. it. That's fantastic. Oh, I can't wait to go home for that. <laughs> so bef- before we go, do you have any any other questions for for us? I think we've asked plenty. Got a really great insight into obviously your move over and obviously your your experiences. Do you have any more questions for for us at all? um yeah i want i want to ask you like in in very short order what what would you say the most important add to the team is this year well i know it's not greg olson so we can stop talking about that Um, yeah no i've been i've been crazy about the anti-greg olson train um that's a really good question if it's if it's not wide receiver it's probably replacing lorenzo alexander um with the run game being so suspect last year uh having a solid three linebacker core uh i think is going to be really important with the backbone of this team still being defense um i think that uh replacing zoe is going to be really important what about me me i've been i've been debating i've been talking over it so many times in my head regarding it i think obviously everyone the, the good thing about this draft is that at least wide receiver maybe a couple other positions are are that deep that we can fill needs in other um other rounds but i think first round i think for me it's got to be your your edge oh, type guy to actually um because obviously you're not going to see jerry hughes after this year will be a free agent will he have the production will they actually keep him on He's getting past it. He's getting not past it. He's getting a bit older every year. Trent Murphy, he's he's 
does it in bits and all that, but you need someone young and hungry. I mean, just just sign Shaq and just start Shaq. All of the games last year, based on production and 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 positive plays per snap. Shaq had the best production of all of our defensive ends. He deserves 80% of the snaps. Um, so I think you can do do it there. Uh, I think we talked about that before. Um, I wouldn't use so – let's not argue, but I wouldn't <laughs> use the first-round pick on an edge rusher. Uh, Nick, what do you think? So my I think my biggest ad for the year is uh, Harrison Phillips. Uh, it was a big blow for him to go away. Okay. Um, and changed changed the way that we had to play that defensive line rotation. I think we've kind of forgotten about him. He had a big start to the year. I'm I'm ple- I want to see him back and back to the level he was to start this year. He started I think really hot. Yeah. Yeah, he really did. I think that's what gets us away from needing to get the edge rusher in in round one or uh, kind of high priced uh, free agent pickup. So I I like the addition back of of Harrison Phillips. We're not talking about that enough on the mm. defensive side of the ball. Net, net new. I'm I'm with um, I'm with Alex. I think replacing Zoe is the way to go. Um, we need to make that nice rhyme right because yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, w- we have a very solid defense um, even without that addition. But um, Milano is fantastic, but has some limitations. We need a kind of strength guy to be in that um, in that Sam spot, and then uh, on the offense. In in my mind, it has to be a big-bodied, fast, you know, go-to, legitimate number one receiver. Josh needs mm-hmm. Josh needs something to transform his game, and <laughs> yeah. I don't care whether we get it through Amari Cooper or through the draft. But mm-hmm. um, like the weakness of the team is on def- is is on offense, not on defense. Yeah. And I want to see the team really work to address and improve and grow the offense. That's that, yeah. Those, my and that's hopefully what what we will be well alex doesn't like to call it arguing <laughs> um we'll be gently friendly disagreeing with in future you, episodes. you can say you can say debating because in america right now it's the democratic primaries and uh they're they're doing their debates so we can debate as well but i mean uh later on in this show we'll be talking to um uh matt perino about the like an off-season matt fairburn. Matt fairburn sorry um there's too many mats um uh I, I another thing on 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 uh the offense i think is is another running back to spell singletary i think in situations where we get where we gave frank gore the ball there just wasn't production there so another running back maybe in round four uh would help us as well and i will scream at the next person who suggests that could be christian wade oh, <laughs> actual god yeah oh. I mean, no. he can play. He can play. He can play. If they can get him to figure out special teams, then that would be great, just to see him on the field. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be a productive running back for us. No, I mean, let's say we we'll still uh, we'll still bat the baston for him. Obviously, I mean, we're trying to get him on the show. So, Christian, you're fantastic. You could be our number one running back. <laughs> but no, we... he's got promise. He yeah. doesn't yeah. have it now, and he's got a whole world to learn. It's just it's if that's the most difficult part. I mean, football's not a game that you can just pick up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, no sport is. It's one of those things where even though you have parallels in rugby, um, it's just it, it's a completely different thing. So amazing story, great guy has had success, uh, but uh, I think he's he's a preseason standout at that. Mm. Well, um, as long as long as we get the um, we, 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 I say we still like the um, battle, even if he gets one. 
one regular season game, whether it be a special teams or um... I'd love if you prove me wrong. I, I'll I'll say this: any of my predictions, if I'm ever proven wrong, then that's good because it <laughs> means that there's success on the other end. So yeah, uh, no, I think I think that's all the all the questions we actually and um, chat with. I think we've got. I think my voice is done to uh to run out now. <laughs> Time for a cup of tea and a nap, huh? Yes. Yeah. Cup of tea yeah. and a scone. Okay. That, well, you... I have a I have a very important British scone question. Uh, <laughs> clotted, clotted cream or or jam? What comes first? Clotted cream, in my case. So you're putting clotted cream on the bottom. You're putting jam on top of it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh man, I disagree with you one thousand. <laughs> um, and is now, it, this, is it... <laughs> now this is worth arguing about. <laughs> and is it scone or scone? It's clearly a scone. I like saying scone because it makes me sound fancy. So <laughs> I find it much easier to spread the jam on top of the cream. If I put the cream on top of the jam, it just doesn't stay. But, you know, that's yeah. just me. To each his own. It still yeah. tastes good no matter what. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the, real, the real question is, is are you adding butter before the uh, cream? And Ooh. I say, yes, I have yes. never, I've never considered that. Yes. Well, that's because you're American, my friend. <laughs> butter, no, I, cream and jam. I, I, I took a, I took a trip down to Cornwall and they, uh, for specifically this one cafe that did an amazing, um, scone with uh clotted cream and jam. And they didn't offer us butter. They just, it was, it was clotted cream and, and, and jam and that's it. So maybe I went to the wrong place. You well, did, my friend. I think you did, yeah. You've got to go to Devon and get, get that butter on there, too. All right. I, I'll tell my wife, because I know she's not going to listen to this show. So I'll <laughs> tell her. All right. Anyway, Nick, it's been Thank you fantastic, very much. actually, um, picking your brains, you appearing on the um, on the podcast, hearing about your life in, in Canada and the Bills, and obviously england missing stuff in england i think it's a it's an honor to actually um to actually finally be able to talk to you yeah thanks thank you for planting the seeds of what we're now uh uh doing here well you're very welcome thank you for picking up the mantle and doing it frankly way better than i ever did and uh and taking the the bills fan base in 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 my home to the place it deserves to be and even better places and i'll tell you what tell you both uh Head to the Pinto, uh, turn around, and uh, you'll see me. And I'll see you uh, in Buffalo in uh, in a very short while, I'm sure. Sounds yeah. great. And we'll see you in London if they come over. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, what, what, would drinks be all right? Drinks on me if you do? Yeah, of course. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll seal it. Perfect. Thank, thank right. you Thanks, once Nick. again. Take it easy, guys. Cheers. Cheers. And that was a great interview we had there with Nick Manning, the original UK Build Backer. Now you can find him at UK Build Backers, similar to us, but it's UK Build Backers to follow Nick Manning and Build Backers UK to follow us. We go straight into our second interview where we interview. The Athletics, Matthew Fairburn. Now, this was just me interviewing Matthew. I think Alex would probably have said he would have enjoyed missing out. Probably wouldn't. But how many times do I actually get a chance to, um, to, in inverted commas, bash Alex 
during a um, during an episode. Love you really, Alex. But enjoy my chat with Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic. And I am joined on the red, white, and buffalo blues by the Athletics. Matt Fairburn. Matt, thank you very much for uh, for coming back on the show. No, oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. We really do appreciate it. First things first. Obviously, it's been a good. It was a good off. Well, good last season. I think obviously bar the bar the Houston game, but we've got a lot of lot of stuff to actually work on. A lot of stuff that we got as a team to look forward to. Obviously, what we want to talk about more is in the off-season review is the offence and what can we expect in year three of Josh Allen. I mean, obviously with Brian DeBall himself actually um, staying on, obviously that continuity is going to be a real good help for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you there's not many quarterbacks in that draft class, that 2018 draft class that have had the same coordinator for all three seasons. And, and that's definitely a benefit at this stage in Josh Allen's development, you know, I think mm. Brian Dable, you know, people say what they will about him, right? Some people, you know, people like to be armchair uh, quarterbacks, armchair offensive coordinators and criticize every play call. He's not been perfect. He's not the best offensive coordinator in the league, but he's a good one. And he's a pretty good quarterback coach as well. He's he's very involved in, you know, the the coaching of that position. He and Josh Allen get along really well. You know, they speak the same language. They're 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 on the same page in a lot of ways. And so as Josh Allen goes into year 3 with a fair amount to work on and, you know, the offense has a fair amount to work on and they have a lot to kind of sync up and and, you know, get on the same page with. It's a, it's helpful when you know, you're not bringing in a new offensive coordinator who has to first get to know who Josh Allen is, what he does well, how he operates, what makes him tick, and then yeah. figure out a way to scheme up an offense. You can build on what you already have in place. And I, I think that's, you know, a huge benefit uh, as Josh Allen, you know, figures out, you know, certainly look at the jump he made last year. You know, that alone should be a, an encouraging sign in terms of, what they could do this offseason, what areas they could work on to try to round out his game and, and make him a little bit more consistent. Yeah, I think, I think obviously, it helps that he's obviously got Ken Dorsey as a quarterback's coach actually there on the on the sideline, obviously, during games. And Ken Dorsey's had that time where he's actually played the role itself. So, obviously, assuming that DeBall for the next season actually stays in, the, um, stays in that coaching booth, um, that obviously having Ken Dorsey there in his ear as well, giving him those, giving him feeding back all that information would obviously be a great benefit to him as well. Yeah, Ken Dorsey was a nice addition to this staff. You know, he's a a super smart guy. He was always, you know, the reason he was in the NFL as long as he was wasn't because of his talent. You know, he wasn't super physically gifted. Obviously, he had, you know, the baseline physical tools you need. Um, and you know, one of the better quarter, you know, anytime you make it to the NFL, you have talent, but yeah. he was more known for what was between the ears and, you know, his ability to study and, and game plan and, and prepare for the opponent. It's what made him such a valuable asset 
as a backup quarterback in the NFL. And it's what helped him transition so smoothly to coaching. And I think yeah, he was definitely a help. And, you know, having, you know, sort of both of those things, right? Like you mentioned, Brian Dable's up in the booth. He's got that bird's eye view. He can, you know, diagnose things, um, you know, from that angle. And Ken Dorsey can be there, you know, be the, the boots on the ground and the guy that is, you know, having that face-to-face contact with Josh Allen, which is important for a young quarterback like Josh Allen, whose emotions sometimes get the better of him and, you know, sometimes need to be reined in a little bit. It's a nice little combination that they have, and it it certainly was a big upgrade over David Culley, who was the quarterback's coach uh, Josh Allen's first season. Yeah, I think I think obviously that does help. I mean, we obviously know that obviously he's increased he, last season. He increased his um, percentage uh, completion percentage up. Okay, by by two percent, but it's still a trend upwards and all that. And we know that from the naught um, to nineteen yards, he was obviously one of the most prolific um, quarterbacks on there. Obviously, what what we gonna what can we see or what? Is it just footwork or is it just this mental side that obviously DeBall and Dorsey are going to look to try and install into him to actually at least try and get a bit more action, a bit more, um, a few more completions on the on potentially deep ball or is it something simple like, I don't know, like running a few more like screen games at all to actually yeah, help you know, them? I think... You know, it's such a a nuanced issue in terms of him, you know, throwing the ball downfield for starters. You know, he was terrible at, at that last year, which is weird because he's a strong arm quarterback. He's aggressive. He's not afraid to throw the ball downfield. Uh, completed 13 percent of his passes that traveled 30 yards or more in the air. You know, one of the worst in the league. And. As you mentioned, from zero to 19 yards, he's pretty good. You know, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the league in that range. And so they corrected that. And I think it's, you know, a matter of getting Josh Allen out of his own head a little bit. And, you know, footwork plays a role. It's a rhythm throw, that deep pass, you know, so you need to kind of, you know, be in rhythm and, uh, you know, have a feel for it. Uh, It's not something that is always super mechanical. Sometimes it is just a feel thing. But, You know, I think that's a you hit a couple of those passes a game. You know, we're talking, you know, deeper passes, 20, 30 yards down the field. It's going to add to your yardage totals. It's going to change the offense, right? You're flipping the field when you complete a deep pass. You're you're getting big chunks of yardage at at a time that changes a drive and potentially, you know, puts points on the board with one play. So, you know, those are the little things, the, the small margin of error in the NFL that can separate you know, below average quarterbacks from uh, above average quarterbacks is hitting on those throws that open up everything else. You know, they open up the screen game like you talk about. They open up some of the intermediate areas. If the, They open up the running game. If the defense respects your ability to throw deep, which by the end of the year, most defenses didn't, uh, then it, it changes how they have to play you. It changes how you can play offense and, and different things that you can do. So uh, I think that's a definitely an area of focus for them entering the off season, but also just leveling out the the highs and lows a little bit, mm. you know, that there's too many times where, you know, too many stretches during the game where they're just, you know, non-existent on offense and the passing offense has a lot to do with that. So I think he needs to, um, you know, find a way to be more consistent, which can happen in a number of ways. Um, diagnosing things before the snap, you know, finding, finding answers, 
um, quicker uh, as he as he drops back to pass when he's moved off that initial read. That's when he he tends to you know have a little bit of trouble. And frankly, adding more talent around him won't hurt either, right? Finding a, yeah. a, a receiver who can make more plays in contested situations to help out his deep ball, you know, numbers or, you know, a guy who can create after the catch. The Bills were one of the worst teams in the league in terms of yards after catch last season. So finding a receiver who can create once the ball is in his hands and, you know, continuing to add to that offensive line so that he's comfortable in the pocket and, you know, continuing to, um, you know, stand tall back there, hang in there and, and allow plays to develop. Uh, all of those things will will help, you know, him, you know, get to where he needs to be next year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a stat that I found um, last year that I don't know why it, it may just be what the personnel was on the field on the offense and defense, but Josh seemed to have more success when he was either doing the play action or he was actually um, he was under center. But it seemed like there was quite a lot of time that they want they didn't want to play the play action or kept him in the shotgun a little bit more again could that be a, a mental side that he could just it's easy to work on with practice in training camp or was it just as i say it was the the um the play the play calling that really determined whether he was under center or in shotgun yeah i think you know that's a a good point to make because there's certainly an element of, you know, play calling involved there. And, and the offensive coordinator, um, you know, has to be aware of, you know, that's why what we talk about when, you know, these two guys knowing one another and knowing jo- what Josh Allen is comfortable with, that's where you have to take advantage. Most quarterbacks you'll find, most teams, uh, passing offenses in general, you'll find are better with play action. Uh, and, you know, the, the general thought that you need to have a good running game to, you know, effectively use play action is also not really the case. I mean, play action is effective, you know, more effective most times than dropping back to pass. Obviously there's exceptions and, you know, you don't want to do it every time, but uh, the more play action you run generally uh, the more off balance you're keeping the defense. And um, he was really good uh, on play action. He was, uh, he completed about 66% of his passes with an 8-2 to two touchdown and interception ratio, 124.1 passer rating when running play action from under center, to your point, being under center. Um, completed 42 of 61 passes in that scenario with six touchdowns and one interception. So, um, you know, of those 61 attempts from under center running play action, 30 went for first down. So he is comfortable in those spots and i think continuing to tweak this offense and refine it and finding ways to to get him comfortable in those spots uh and get him into spots where he can you know take advantage of uh, of that you know clear clear comfort level that he has is uh, uh would definitely be a benefit he's also he's fairly comfortable in shotgun you know the reason his numbers aren't as good in shotgun is because he was in shotgun so much right he was you know those are going to regress closer to his mean and where his general numbers are and that's to their credit that they you know noticed last year that he was so good in shotgun uh, they run pretty well out of shotgun as does yeah. he so uh, i think you know it's always a balance and finding a way to mix everything in and i think Brian Dable has done a pretty good job of incorporating 
a lot of different elements into this offense that he understands what Josh Allen is. He understands the quarterback he has and what his strengths are and how to, you know, find those strengths and, and take advantage of them. And I, I think he's always kind of tweaking what he does based on mm. that. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously it was after last season, I think it was, was it after the bye week or anything when he actually went to that or well, after the Browns game, when he went to that set one, one personnel with the same, the same four or five um, players on the field at the time that obviously that and actually running a version of no huddle actually did quite help him a lot, which is obviously what I like about De ball, even though I will admit and that I have had doubts a few times about his play calling abilities, but you're right when you actually said the way he's um the way he's actually been able to diagnose and actually see what Allen's strengths and weaknesses are, it obviously does look quite a lot um look good for the um for the coming season. Yeah, Dable's not perfect by any means. I mean, you look at his results over the years, uh, his offenses have pretty much all been terrible. Uh, but he's learned in those previous stops. He's, you know, seen a lot. And I think he's he's adjusting. I think you can certainly take issue with some of his play calls and in-game decisions. But uh, in terms of the overall big-picture development, I think he's been a net positive for Josh Allen. I think he's he's a guy that, that you know, Josh respects a lot and a guy that, you know, means a great deal to him. They have a good working relationship. When you're a younger quarterback, that's important. Uh, maybe a, if, you know, it turns out that Josh Allen is the franchise guy and the offense is still kind of waffling a little bit, you know, then maybe you would think, okay, maybe a, a change at the coordinator spot could be a good thing, uh, depending on how it all shakes out. But uh, the way things have been, you know, progressing, I think, you know, it, it should be viewed as a generally good thing that Dayball is back for a third season. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I during the off-season, and I met whilst I'm at work, I've been just going through a lot of stuff, actually thinking what could, what could be added to say to the game to even help Josh Allen obviously with his accuracy and help this offense move a bit more. Now you probably sh- can shut me down on this day. It was um, probably stupid or not, but I was thinking would the ball actually try and consider bring in some more like college run options? Like obviously what the likes of army Navy Georgia tech do with the triple offense with that run option. Cause we know he likes to run obviously not, not bring in as a full game, like have it an odd package here and there, like a trick play, something like that, just to really spark spark the defense a little bit, keep him um, keep him guessing. So obviously you've got Singletary who can run, break tackles, and you've got Josh Allen who can actually um, bust a run too. Yeah, I think there is opportunity for this Bills offense to maybe get a little bit more creative with how they use Josh Allen's running ability. And I don't know if that would mean full-on triple option type stuff or, you know, necessarily what the Ravens are doing, um, you know, at times with Lamar Jackson, which is some of that as well. I don't know if they would go that far with it. You really have to commit when you do that. Mm. And it, it takes a lot of reps to do it the way that the Ravens do. And, and you need certain personnel to pull it off. And, uh, it's not always easy, and it it takes kind of a bold and you know confident coach to pull it off the way Harbaugh did. 
and a unique talent in Lamar Jackson. But but Josh Allen can run, and he's you know he's able to take hits. He he's held up to the physical beating fairly well over the last couple of years. The time he got hurt had nothing to do with him running the ball. So I think there's ways to incorporate it. And like you said, maybe it's a trick play here and there to, to keep defenses off balance. And I think what they have to hope remains consistent with Josh Allen year over year is just how much of a weapon he is in the mm. red zone when he runs. He had yeah. nine touchdowns running last year. That's a huge, huge boost to this red zone offense. He's, you know, it helps him as a quarterback because passing in the red zone is, is not easy, uh, especially for a younger player running in the red zone. You know, you know, that changes the dynamic. You saw what it did for Cam Newton uh, early in his career. Lamar Jackson has been terrific uh, running in the red zone and Josh Allen's been outstanding uh, when he gets down near the goal line and keeps it himself. So I think finding ways to incorporate that in key situations in those gotta have it situations. Josh Allen running last year was, you know, still probably their most effective weapon uh, as an mm-hmm. offense, and it certainly was the year before when he picked up tons of yards. His yards were down last year, but his touchdowns were were you know right where you want them to be. So uh, I think if that continues, you you have to lean into it and say. You know, how can we best use this to, you know, make our get our offense, you know, to score points? Because, um, you know, that's what they need more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I know a lot of other fans also want to want to ball in the Bills to try and do a few more um, bubble screens and use the um, jet sweep, which they did well with McKenzie at times, incorporate that more in there. So, but as you say, it's. It's good now that, as you said, the ball is there for a third year, that the consistency's there. He already knows he's had two years going into his third year of knowing his strengths and weaknesses, that this, in his off-season, he can work on those on those plays in that playbook and open it up a lot more to um, to Josh Allen's strengths. Yeah, and, and you can also, as a, as a team, as a front office and a coaching staff, I start to identify all right, you know, we want to do this on offense. We need X player. We need this receiver in the draft or this guy in free agency, this tight end. Uh, We need an extra tackle so we can do this. You know, all those things, um, the, the longer a system is in place, the more you have that familiarity as a, as a front office of what your coaches need. And so, you know, stuff like the jet sweeps and the bubble screens, like you talk about, if they had, you know, not that Isaiah McKenzie is uh, a lousy player. He's pretty good. He, he's a, a little bit of a spark plug. But you can find a better version of Isaiah McKenzie, uh, you know, yeah. probably in this draft, maybe in free agency. Um, you know, so continuing to add and find the pieces that can execute Brian Dayball's vision, because he's not the type of offensive coordinator who says, this is my system. OK, guys, go learn it. He's the type of guy who says, okay, these are my players. What should I run as my system? And so as he gets more talented players, it opens up, you know, what he can do and the creativity that he can show, um, you know, particularly in the passing game because they have been uh, lacking in wide receiver talent in his first year, got better last year, still have some room to grow, um, you know, in that department entering this offseason. So it only opens things up and allows him to, you know, 
to be a little bit more creative and certainly, you know, eliminates the excuses, right? When you, when, when they've got exactly. the talent to pull it off, then you can't really, you know, you can't use that, that excuse anymore. So this, that's definitely, uh, they've reached that point, I think, you know, in this rebuild where it's, it's put up or shut up time, you know, you got to get, get the talent and you've got, you know, all these things we talk about are good things. Year three with your quarterback, year three with the same quarterback and coordinator, same defensive coordinator from the moment Sean McDermott walked through the door. A lot of yeah. continuity. It's built in their vision. Tons of cap space, tons of draft picks. You know, they should be able to build a roster that can, you know, build on what they did last year. Yeah. I mean, obviously, playmakers is pretty much is probably going to be the the buzzword this this off season for for most Bills fans. Obviously, a running back now we we're pretty much set going forward with um, Singletary as our um, as our main running back on there. But then everyone has their own idea of what a what a wide receiver one the Bills should have. I mean, I've spoken to a few people, asked them for for their opinion. Most of them say it's got to be a big tool guy. Like if you look in the draft wise, uh, T Higgins type guy, some people, me included, I think it, it shouldn't matter what, what size they are as in how they can actually perform in game day. Cause I've, I've looked at and compared pre, pretty much a few, a few wide receivers from teams, including obviously the Super Bowl teams who are their main go-to guys who could be classed as in inverted commas their number one and they're not necessarily your six three six four guys like obviously Tyree Kill who's been the main go for um for Kansas he was only 510 Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel 511 and six foot is it really size that matters or is it just a case of can they go up and make that catch if um, if needed? Yeah, I talked to Brandon Bean about that very topic down at the Senior Bowl. And, you know, certainly when you're building a wide receiver core, you'll, you'd love to have one of each, right? You'd love to have mm. your John Brown, um, you know, who's your vertical threat and, you know, maybe not super physically imposing. Your slot guy like Cole Beasley and then your big, you know, Mike Evans type on the outside, but you're not always going to find Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or Michael Thomas or Julio Jones, whoever it may be. Those guys don't grow on trees. And mm. the point Brandon Bean made, and you know, it speaks to your point, when they were in Carolina, they had Steve Smith. He's five foot nine, and mm. that might be being generous. I mean, he's a really small guy, but the phrase Brandon Bean uses is that he played above the rim. And you can do that if you're five, nine, you can do it if you're six foot, you can do it if you're six, three. And, you know, the big receiver thing doesn't always work. Look at Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches, you know, so you can't just say size alone is going to be, you know, then you put blinders on. And as Brandon Bean said, he's, he said, I don't want to miss out on, you know, an ass kicker because, I was just looking at guys that were six, three or taller. And there was a guy that was six, one, who's a damn good football player. So, yeah. you know, it's definitely a balancing act. Now, I think the number to pay attention to rather than height is body mass index, uh, because, you know, there is some history that suggests 
you know, if you have a body mass index north of 26 or 27, depending on which threshold um, you use, that that can very much be, you know, something that determines how successful a guy is in the NFL. That's not based simply on height. You know, that's, uh, mm. you know, a, a height weight, you know, combo. And, you know, some smaller guys, Steve Smith included, met that that threshold at, um, you know, at body mass index. So it's an interesting um, it's an interesting topic of conversation because, um, you know, it's receivers come in so many different packages and, you know, production comes in so many different ways. So um, I think there's a few receivers in this draft who have that size. You mentioned T Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr. is another one. Uh, you know, some of these guys that are, are bigger bodied guys, but you don't want to miss out on, you know, even you look at Antonio Brown, you know, all of mm. his off the field stuff aside, a smaller guy, but had that body mass index. He was, he was built and he was yeah. strong enough to hold up. You don't want the worst combo is tall and skinny, right? You don't want a mm. guy that's uh, not able to handle the the contact, but there's so many different skills involved. It's way more than just a height thing. Um, uh, you want a guy that can win in contested situations and you don't need to be six foot five to do that. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've been, I've been looking quite a lot, um, obviously looking at draft related. I mean, I'm a big fan of, um, the guy out of TCU, Jalen Regal. Uh, he's obviously five, five, 10, five, 11, all that got speed, but he got the physicality and go up and win those, um, and win those balls if needed. Yeah, he's probably the best example in this draft of why size doesn't always tell the whole story, because that's a guy that the Bills should not take off their board just because, you know, they need a a bigger receiver or a physical receiver because he can do it. I mean, look at A.J. Brown last year, another guy who wouldn't, you know, have won the the, you know, the way in or whatever with his height. Um, but what is he six foot one, six foot maybe. And, but still solidly built and able to handle, um, you know, winning in those contested spots had a great rookie year in Tennessee. So uh, I think there are receivers in this draft and look, even Tyreek Hill, you wouldn't, the first thing that comes to mind with Tyreek Hill wouldn't necessarily be his ability to win in contested situations, but he's able to do it right. He's able to you know, get up and make a play when he needs to. And you know what's, you know, even better than winning in contested situations is running so fast that nobody can contest you, which is what he does anyway. So mm. if you find guys like that who can do that, then, you know, it's about, uh, you know, completing passes and um, guys who can get open and, and win, um, you know, win in, in traffic. So um, I, I think size can be overblown. But yeah. uh, it's certainly I understand why people want it, because you look at the Pro Bowl, you look at Michael Thomas, you look at Mike Evans, you look at Chris Godwin. These are big mm. dudes. Julio Jones is a big guy. Calvin Johnson was huge. And I know I'm talking about, you know, three three of those guys might be future Hall of Famers. But yeah. um, still, you know, that that size jumps off the page. And uh, it's nice to have one of those guys when you can get them. It's just not always easy to find the combination that you're looking for in terms of height, weight, and speed. Yes. For every Calvin Johnson, the big guy that actually um, is quite good and can test catches and, and all that. You've also got a, a DeAndre Hopkins of Houston, six, one, 
just over to 210, I believe, just over or something like that. Yeah, and Brandon also... Bean brought him up too. He said, you know, he's a guy that, you know, this is what Brandon Bean said. He's a good example of a guy who has never been a speed guy, but he has such strong hands. And even when he's covered, you can throw it and he's savvy and instinctive. So there's other ways around not being a fast guy or a big guy that can do different things. So uh, that speaks right to his point is that, you know, find guys that, that can play the position. Uh, and yeah. that's going to look different for, for every receiver. I mean, look at all the receivers that were in, you know, you, you mentioned the guys that were in the Super Bowl, three totally different guys, Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, and Tyree Kill, all do it in different ways, but all are super effective at what they do. And uh, certainly, you know, the Bills wouldn't complain about having a guy of that caliber on their offense at all. Yeah. I think I think that's obviously the good thing about this wide receiver draft is that it's going to be and like a couple other positions in this draft, it's there's actually going to be that deep that you can get a a decent receiver in the say the third, the fourth round, maybe not necessarily obviously do what what most fans want and straight away go for a Lavisca Chenault, um in round one. So that that's what I'm loving about obviously about this draft. The fact is that you can get a a Van Jefferson, a Michael Pittman Jr., and that in rounds three and four, and look to potentially go another direction. Maybe go for their best player available. Maybe even what well, I'm thinking a sneaky defensive pick for the first um with the first round um first round twenty two. Yeah, for sure. I, I think. You know, if I were a betting man, I would say that they don't take a receiver at 22 as it stands right now because they do have other needs and the draft is so deep. You know, unless one of these studs, C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs uh, is sitting on the board, I don't know that they're going to want to be the team that, you know, grabs the first guy in the next tier. Uh, and uh, when they could wait and, and find some value, maybe take two guys in, in the second mm. and fourth or whatever. Uh, Brian Edwards, you know, you mentioned Michael Pittman is is a, a guy I like quite a bit. Van Jefferson had a great week at the Senior Bowl. So there's a lot of players, and when you're playing the value game, you know, you're gonna they're gonna take the best guy on their board. They're not gonna pigeonhole themselves into taking a receiver. There's a chance a receiver will be the best guy on the board because some of those guys <laughs> in the first round conversation are really good. Uh, but I think there's a pretty good chance that they go you know, defensive end, defensive back, offensive line, all areas that they could address a linebacker uh, if the right type of player is available. So, you know, there's a they're not, you know, locked into taking a receiver by any means. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, ne the next most important thing, obviously, is to get that to get that. um Handcuff, let's call that for for Devin Singletary. I mean, the guy. He came in what after week week three week four and is just he's seen his his arrow skyrocket all the way through. First of all, is is there any news or any um, indication that Gore's done in Buffalo? And is there anyone in the draft really that could potentially tickle their fancy as a um, as a compliment? I mean, I me again, I like um, the guy out of um, was it. Memphis, I think, um, Antonio Gibbs, uh, Gibson, 
Antonio yeah, Gibson. he's a bit of a he's a bit of a hybrid too. You know, he could you know some people look at him almost as a receiver type, and that's not a bad you know type of guy to look for by any means. I think there's plenty of guys in this draft. I think when it comes to running backs, you kind of want a you know to me anyways. You want to wait uh, on that position. Mm. You don't you know unless there's a an exceptional talent uh, available and a guy that can really you know change the game. Christian McCaffrey, that type of player, they yeah. have a really good running back in, um, in Devin Singletary. He's a guy that can maybe not handle 300-plus carries, but he can handle you know 200 to 250 touches uh, and be uh, you know somebody that, that's a special player for them. But getting a second guy, you know, they got Devin Singletary in the third round. So yeah. you don't need to spend a first or second round pick on the mm. position. Uh, I think you can, you know, wait a little bit. They haven't added a ton of young talent outside of Singletary to that spot. You know, they've, you know, kind of gone the veteran route with a couple of, uh, with a couple of their, you know, additions. But I think, you know, finding some of these, th- these later round guys uh, is probably what you want to do. And, um, you know, I think this is another position where, um, you certainly, you can find some value late in the draft. Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, one of those, one of those positions where, you know, there's always going to be value late. Um, and there's going to be a lot of these guys that come off the board early. So I, I think depending on how it all shakes out, I haven't gotten too deep into, you know, looking at some of the later round running backs, but, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor is a really good player from Wisconsin. If he falls at all, mm-hmm. he could be a first round pick. Um, so maybe not, you know, quite um, in the conversation for the Bills. But, you know, a back kind of like that, right? You know, Zach yeah. Moss from Utah, 5'9", 218, you know, kind of has that compact build. Um, Clyde Edwards from uh, LSU, another one. Uh, who had a great season at LSU. He's probably looking at being a third-round pick. Najee Harris uh, from Alabama, 6'1", 232, a, a big dude that can you know punish some guys. I always liked Cam Akers, the Florida State kid, uh, yeah. as a recruit. He, he really burst onto the scene early. Um, he's you know probably a third- or fourth-round pick. So you, know, you can wait. You don't even need to take him in the first four rounds. You could look for one of these guys – late uh at the you know the end of the draft or an undrafted free agency but it is a spot they need to get better at uh, i don't know for sure whether frank Gore um will be back my guess would be no um and even if he is he's 36 years old and he did not look yeah uh, he looked his age uh, by the end of the season and uh, had a, a better year than probably a lot of people expected when you look at the overall numbers but certainly faded towards the end and they didn't show a lot of faith in TJ Yeldon, so adding to that position is a is a must this offseason. Yeah, because I mean I've, I've also known about um, uh, P Ryan of Florida, and we were we had an interview with um, with Stevie Johnson um, our last episode, and he said look out for um, for Kentucky um, Lim Bowden. He knows him quite well. He actually said he could do he could do some damage as he's a, another hybrid. A, wide receiver slash running back as well. So again, it, it's what's good about this draft is that you've got that, um, you've got that depth going in and, and like everyone's, like you say, 
it's not just first three rounds you should take someone you can get value lower down especially with so many other needs you know that, that you look at um where the the impact players come at positions like defensive end and offensive tackle and you know to a lesser extent defensive back and wide receiver uh you don't want to burn one of those early picks on another running back who isn't going to impact your team in a in a tremendous way necessarily when you have already have Devin Singletary but I do think um you know the right the right pick at the right spot uh, could help this offense you know get to another level because you don't want to put all of it on Singletary uh, especially, you know, and you know, if he gets hurt or anything else, uh, you need to have more than one running back and the bills believe in that pretty strongly. Yeah. And I mean, quickly touching on to obviously defensive side of the ball, obviously coming out last, um, couple of days ago, our star Luta lady actually, um, obviously restructuring his contract. And then there was, um, a tweet out from Jason Lacan for about, the Bills potentially franchise and tag um, Jordan Phillips. Now, is it is the star um, restructuring? Are they looking to potentially work out a long term deal and get both Phillips or Lawson in, or or we going to see one if not both of them leave in uh, in free agency? Yeah, I think more likely at least one of those guys will be gone. I don't really buy the idea of the bills using the franchise tag on Jordan Phillips. I think Mm. paying 15 million uh, for Jordan Phillips would be just a, it wouldn't be the best use of their, their assets, their salary cap space. Uh, I think clearing up some room, you know, with the star low to Lele, you know, restructuring was, was wise. It might help them bring back Jordan Phillips on a, uh, shorter term type of deal. But I think he wants to see what the market looks like after having a career year. The market will probably never be better for him than it is right now. Uh, maybe it frees up some money to for them to get Shaq Lawson, or maybe they're just looking to free up money and attack defensive tackle as a need in free agency. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. now that gives them a little more wiggle room. So uh, it gives them options uh, is what it does. And uh, I don't know that, you know, there's a lot that can change in terms of Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips over the next few weeks as, you know, the Bills get done with their free agent meetings. And then, um, you know, the combine, a lot of that, um, you know, I know the legal tampering doesn't start until mid-March, but um, a fair amount of, you know, tampering goes on at, at the NFL scouting combine. There are conversations that happen, you know, players are able to gauge their market, agents are, are there. So, I think you get, start to get a better idea at the end of the at the end of the month of where things stand. Yeah, and for me, and I've listened to your last um, Bills B um, episode with uh, Joe Biscalia. I kind of agree that there is a sneaky um, need to actually um, for that defense, whether it be free agency or draft. Because see, it's that Zoe that Zoe replacement. And potentially a um, maybe a a replacement or an inline replacement for Poyer or Hyde and also that second cornerback. So I could see on your, from your last podcast how everyone seems to be overlooking the fact that defense there still is a sneaky need, even though it's the offense that really needs to um, needs a bit more investment into it. 
Yeah, there's definitely some some holes on that defense, not obvious ones and not ones that held them back in any major way last year, but the defensive line, you know, two free agents and, you know, showing its age a little bit. Jerry Hughes uh, and Star Latule, who we mentioned, both getting up there in age. Obviously, Ed Oliver should be a fixture for a while, but you have to constantly be adding talent. You know, losing Lorenzo Alexander, you're not going to find another guy who does what Lorenzo Alexander does. I mean, he moved around a lot. A bit of a unique case. I mean, he played defensive tackle earlier in his career, so he, he could do a lot of different things. But finding a strong side linebacker, even if it's a position that only plays, you know, 15 snaps a game, finding a nickel, a a consistent, reliable nickel. I mean, Taron Johnson has had, you know, some bright spots, but he's been injured too often and he's been pretty inconsistent. Saran Neal hasn't quite been um, what they wanted there. And so, yeah, and you mentioned the the cornerback opposite Tredavious White. Kevin Johnson's a free agent. Levi Wallace was up and down, uh, you know, while playing through shoulder injury this year. So I think there's, you know, plenty of, of, you know, room to, to add to that defense. And I think they see things that way. They know um, that, you know, that it wouldn't be, it's not out of the question to spend an early round pick or two on the defensive Mm. side of the ball, because, you know, certainly they have a lot of guys of their own to take care of, whether it's, Matt Milano, um, you know, Deion Dawkins, Tredavious White. Uh, but you also want to continue to try to, you know, make plan for the future and make sure that the defense doesn't have a drop off uh, when some of these older guys move on. Yeah. And with that, and obviously with the with the look to extending um, White, Milano coming to in their contract years and all that, do you see like, the Bills making a play for potentially a a tier one free agent like Ngokwe or um, or even like Amari Cooper or anything like that? Or is it going to be the tried and tested, um, get your serviceable, um, not, well, serviceable is probably the, the bad word to use that, to get your reliable and, and system-based players in whilst developing, as Bean says, through the, um, through the draft. Yeah, I think at positions like defensive end, they're probably they would like to get it through the draft because you have a cost controlled asset for five seasons. Uh, if you pick them in the first round, uh, four seasons, if you pick them after that, spending the type of money they would have to spend on Ngakwe or Clowney or whoever else, it might be tough. I think you'll see some of what we've seen the last few years that in terms of their they're, you know, dipping the toes into the tier one pool. You might see one, you know, you might see last year it was Mitch Morse. Maybe they break the bank for a receiver or a defensive end. I don't think you'll see both. I don't think you'll see a crazy spending spree in terms of the quantity that you saw last year either, but they will try to find that value in the second tier, second and third tiers of free agency where they've done a good job the last couple of years finding guys who, you know, fit what they do and contribute right away and instantly make them better. I just don't, we haven't seen that type of move where they, they, you know, go all out on a premier position like defensive end, even when they went after Mitch Morrison and, and Star Tule, those aren't premier positions. So even though they were setting the market at those spots, you know, Mitch Morris was the highest paid center when they signed him with Tule, I think was the highest paid nose tackle when they signed him. You're still talking about, you know, 
something in the 10, 11 million a year range, as mm. opposed to setting the market at defensive end means paying 20 million a year, you know, tons of guaranteed money, long-term contract. So it's a riskier deal and they know they have to be mindful of that salary cap going forward with all these, you know, contracts coming up that we talked about. Yeah. Um, one last, one last question. It's, um, it's April 23rd. You're up picking for the bills at 22 bills are on the clock. Who'd you pick top of your head? Oh, it's a good question. I have, I have a name in mind that I'm debating whether will, you know, be a, a first round guy. So I'm going to hold off on, on him right now. I'm going to go with, oh man, this is tough. <laughs> I love putting people on the spot. Not knowing who's going to be on the board is the tough part. Um, yeah. I will go with, and I don't see, I don't know if he's going to be on the board. I was going to say Tristan Wirfs, uh, the offensive tackle from Iowa. Um, I don't know if he'll last that long. So I'll say Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle from Georgia, probably has a better shot to be there. Gives them the flexibility to move Cody Ford inside to guard. They get yeah. younger on the offensive line. Um, I'll go with that for now. Um, subject to change with a couple months here and plenty of research <laughs> still to do. Yes, Pete. We'll, we'll say it. We'll have to ask again after um after the combine. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's a very uh very good time to to get your ducks in a row in terms of draft research and and get a better feel for things. But um, yeah, it's going to be a fun couple of months figuring out what they're when you're at twenty. You know, when the a team's at twenty two, it's so hard to figure out. You know, how everything's going to fall from one to twenty one uh, mm. to figure out what's going to happen in that first round, but. Um, we're in the process of doing a, a staff-wide mock draft at the Athletic, where you know each beat reporter, you know, picks their uh, their team's pick. So it gives you a, a bit more of an insider type of type of look at you know what the draft might look like. So we'll have that ready to go before the combine. Um, we'll see if my pick is. We'll see if I talk myself <laughs> into somebody else between now and then. Everyone does. Everyone does. Listen, Matthew. Thank you very, very much for um, for coming on. It was really insightful. It was a great chat to actually um, talk everything off season and actually um, and talk draft as well with you. Oh, absolutely! Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Cheers. And we thank Matthew Fairburn there for a great insight into the Bills off season what we could look forward to, what could be added in the draft, and the potential offense under Josh Allen, Dayball, year three. Well, that was all for the the brain-busting, lung-filling 51st episode. We thank you for listening. Keep reviewing and subscribing. I would say from Alex, but he's not here. From me, until next time, until this time, good evening, good morning, good night. Go Bills. Not us. Yeah, not, not us. us. You don't know anything about heart. You don't know anything about work. Huh? That's who we are. Bills on three. One, two, three. Bills.